Walters is back open to full capacity with bar service and their ever-so-popular self-pour beer wool. Think you've got what it takes to pour a perfect pint? Walters is the place to give it a shot from micro to macro and lunch to brunch. Walters is the place to be in Navy Yard. Reservations now open for the entire Nats homestand over at opentable.com. Walters is a great option this Memorial Day weekend, whether you're going to a game or just want to hang out and watch the NBA playoffs with friends. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the set in the 3-1. Swung on, hit in the air to right center field and hit well. Moving back, Stevenson. He's at the warning track at the wall, and this one is gone. Goodbye. An opposite field home run to right center in and out of section 142. And Eugenio Suarez, who had not batted leadoff in his career until the three games in this series, has his second home run of the series. It leads off this game his 11th of the year, RBI number 25. Strasburg behind three and one, serves that one up, and the Reds lead one to nothing. You know, I got to go back and look at why you know we were taking so many pitches. But when the guys are like that, you got to be—I mean, you got to be ready early in the count and, uh, and, get, and get ready to hit, hit a fastball. And welcome to Nats Chat Part Two for Friday, May 28, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. So the Nationals unable to make it a series win over the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park. The Nats follow up the 5-3 victory in the rain-suspended game that was completed on Thursday afternoon with a 3-0 seven-inning loss on Thursday night. What was considered game two of a doubleheader, ergo just the seven innings, the Nats now are 4-2 and two on their nine-game homestand, 21-25 and 25 overall. Zero runs in the nightcap. Sonny Gray dominant against the Nationals. The Nats finished the game with a mere two hits. I mean, we have seen some punchless offensive performances by the Nats this season. This was about as punchless as it gets. Two hits, one walk. I get it. It was just a seven-inning game. You could have played 15 innings. You could have played 18 innings like the playoff game against the Giants in 2014. I'm not sure that the Nats finished with more than two hits. And Davey Martinez, not happy after the game. Now, see, I was going to say, hey, we don't know what might have happened in the eighth or the ninth. Maybe it would have all come together. Maybe a huge rally. They end up winning the game six to three or something like that. No, it was not trending in that direction. I don't think there was any reason to think it would trend in that direction. It was really a lifeless performance. And, you know, Sonny Gray is a solid pitcher. I don't want to disparage him, but he's not Jacob deGrom. You know, the game that deGrom just completely blew them away at City Field 
that was one of those where you do the proverbial tip your cap to the opposing starter. I'm not so sure that this was one of the ones that you do that. Again, Sonny Gray's fine. You know, he's no slouch out there, but they just had nothing going. And I think the thing that frustrated Davey so much were all the fastballs they were taking for strikes. He brought it up after the game. And, you know, he, as we know, he's not one to really criticize publicly a whole lot. And even in this case, it was tame compared to other managers. But I thought there was some hidden message in there, which was, we are a good fastball hitting team. You go up there, you look for a fastball. You don't go up there looking for something off speed and then try to adjust to that. That's the opposite way of they train just about everybody who hits in this sport. You go up there, look for fastball, adjust to the others. It felt like they were looking for something else and then they couldn't catch up to the fastball and watch too many of them go by, especially early in counts. And the end result was they didn't have a single at bat in the game with a runner in scoring position. And that has happened multiple times in recent games. That should be something that happens just a few times over the course of a season. It's becoming the kind of thing that you almost get used to right now with the Nationals. It was not a good offensive performance in any meaningful way. There was maybe a little bit of bad luck. The Josh Bell out that he made, one of the loudest outs that you'll ever see, that was something. So this happened, bottom of the six, two outs, runner on first. Josh Bell smashing, and I mean smashing, a line drive per stat cast, 115.8 miles per hour. Uh, but the ball capably fielded by the red starting pitcher, Sonny Gray, for a 1-3 inning ending ground out. But by and large, this was a lifeless game. This was a lifeless offensive performance. Ended up not being a very good series for a lot of key Nationals hitters. Kyle Schwarber in the series, he's the Nats cleanup batter. In all three games, he goes one for 10 with a single and three strikeouts. Starling Castro, starting third baseman, number five batter in all three games in the series, one for 10 with a single and a walk. You know, Starling Castro's OPS for the season has plummeted by 110 points beginning with games on May 14th. He's in a real rut here right now. And, you know, it is, has been nice to see Josh Bell do better lately. That's true. And I'm going to give him credit. He had a pretty good series. But, you know, I, I look at something like Juan Soto. Okay, so Juan Soto for the series goes three for nine, three singles, and three walks. Juan Soto, since he came off the 10-day injured list, has an on-base of 396, has a slugging of 382. This thing we've been harping on of Juan not hitting for power since he came off the 10-day I.L., that has continued and then some here. It's not getting better. It's only getting worse. It's almost any player in baseball, you don't ever want to see the on-base percentage be higher than the slugging percentage. Maybe a total speedster, just getting on bases, singles and doubles hitter, you know, like a Billy Hamilton, who's not even good enough to get on base that much. Juan Soto especially should not have a higher on-base percentage than his slugging percentage. And it is a concern. He is not elevating the ball with any consistency. He still does not look 100% right. And maybe that is the one difference. Maybe that's the one thing that's stopping this team right now. If he's being Juan Soto, that changes the entire lineup. And maybe they are winning some of these games. And so when he's not doing it, there just isn't anybody else that's going to carry a lineup on their own. You said Bell has been much better. Schwarber had been better until the last few days. But they need Soto to make the whole thing click. And I don't really know why it is that it's not. It's a lot of hard ground balls again. Like we said the other day, you hope that it's not the shoulder actually affecting him at the plate. It's funny. He had a decent throw on Thursday to the plate. The first time he's really been tested with it. And I thought that looked fine. So maybe the shoulder isn't an issue there, but you hope it's not an issue at the plate. Whatever the case is, they've got to get him figured out here because 
in the long run, if this lineup's going to be successful at all, Juan Soto has to be front and center. They're not going to be successful without him. They need the other guys to be complimentary, but Juan Soto has to be the primary producer in this lineup. And right now it's not happening. You know, he had that mammoth home run not that long ago, right? And we kind of felt like maybe that was going to get him going, turn things around. And it turns out that that was not the case, you know? It goes to show you, by the way, like when people talk about things like momentum and, um, you know, like season changing events, things like that, it's all retroactive. Like there's no reason that that couldn't have been the thing that gets Soto going, but it ends up just being a hiccup, like something that happened and then a bunch of other bad stuff followed it, you know? So it's like, that, that stuff can always be, it's so retroactive, I feel like. But anyway, yeah, got to get Soto going. You know, it's interesting. We've talked about Kevin Long, the Nats hitting coach. Davey sounds off on the Nats approach after the game. Juan Soto continues to not elevate baseballs. Again, I don't think firing Kevin Long is going to turn the Nationals into some murderous row of a lineup. But I do wonder if the heat is starting to increase on him just because we've seen this in baseball a million times over the years. And offense is struggling. And this offense is really struggling. Something's got to change, right? Something's got to happen. I'm not saying it's right. I do wonder if at least internally there are conversations about, okay, what can we do to try to maybe jolt these guys and and get things going here? I think the key there is that something has to change. And that can be a lot of different things. But at some point, you can't just keep trotting out the same group in the same order and just believe that this time it's going to be different. You know, yeah, there've been glimpses and signs for some of them along the way, but even if you don't necessarily think that the alternative is that much better, sometimes just a different look (laughs) will trigger something and get guys going. You know, maybe it is moving Trey Turner out of the leadoff spot. I don't know. Doing something different. To me, if you're just going to keep trotting the same look out every night, and trusting that eventually that's going to work, I just don't know if that's the strategy at this point. We're 46 games into a season. Again, not that there's a lot of alternatives out there. You can play Ryan Zimmerman a little bit more. I think he'll play on Friday because the Brewers are starting a lefty. But, you know, there's not a whole lot of alternatives there. But you just like to see something different to make you say, hey, at least we're trying something different and not just accepting the fact that this is the way it has to be. There are some teams in some seasons that get by with, a lack of depth or get by with not having other premier options beyond the obvious options. The Nats right now are a team that's not getting by with that. They are really paying for their lack of depth, their lack of options. The fact that they got to keep trotting out the same people because they don't really have other people to turn to, it's really hurt them. Be one thing if at least you could say, all right, well, this guy's not hitting. Let's try that guy. Let's play more of this other guy. They don't have that. They have to keep trotting out the same people. I mean, Starling Castro is not a number five hitter, okay? He's not. They keep putting him out there like he is. He's batted even higher than five at times this season. That should not be the case, but that's what the Nats are doing because in their eyes, and I think in the eyes of most people, like, if not him, then who? And that's a real issue. You know, we've come back to this many times, but the roster construction is incredibly flawed with this team, and we're seeing that here right now. Like, this upcoming series against the Brewers, right? Starling Castro is going to be the starting third baseman, presumably in at least two of the three games. And I would be surprised if he bats any lower than fifth in any of the three games. Like that's the way that it's been with him so far this year. On a good team, he's nowhere near that number five spot. He's buried in the lineup. He's maybe buried on the bench at this point, but the Nats have to keep putting him out there because this is what they have. This is who they got to go with in 2021. The alternatives would be Jordy Mercer, or Carter Kibu, yeah, essentially, or maybe Luis Garcia if you want to move uh, Josh Harrison to third base. That, that's what we're talking about here. You know, that's the alternatives 
to Starlin Castro or to, you know, almost anybody else. That That's who they have available to them. So, uh, yeah, you can understand why maybe Davey is just sticking with the veterans. But if it's not going to be a change in personnel or a change in batting order, then it's going to have to be a change in approach at the plate because the approach that they're showing right now is just not consistently getting it done. Yes, there are glimpses here and there, but there is no consistency to it all. The most consistent thing they've done this year is not score, especially early in games. I keep putting this stat out there every time it happens, but it's it's a staggering number now. 16 times in 46 games this year, they have been held scoreless into the sixth inning. That's basically one third of their games. They have a zero on the board entering the sixth inning. How are you supposed to win like that? That's just not a recipe to win baseball games. It's putting so much pressure on the pitching staff to be perfect. And they've been very good for the most part but it's not good enough to overcome that. It's got to change. That just cannot continue if you think you're going to win ball games. Just so people understand, traditionally, historically in baseball, the highest scoring inning is the first inning. That the Nats have been scoreless through six with the frequency that you just detailed is really jaw-dropping. And yet it's been the case so far this season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Games on Friday night include the Atlanta Braves at the New York Mets at 7-10. Ian Anderson is starting for the Braves. He's been good lately. Braves look like the play. 
There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Here's the pitch. Swing a little looper down the left field side. If it's fair, it's trouble. It lands fair inside the line. Scoring Suarez. The ball bobbled by Schwarber. Over to third, Winker. And in at second with a bloop double is Naquin. Now lead it 3 to nothing. So Steven Strasburg was the national starting pitcher in this game three against the Reds. And really kind of a weird outing for Strasburg. He gives up three runs in five innings, uh, has five strikeouts, gives up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. Issues a walk. Issues a hit by pitch. He was not commanding his fastball. He threw just 49 strikes versus 38 balls on 87 pitches. He also, though, got victimized by one of the great examples of getting, as we like to say, babipped that you'll ever see. That two-run fifth inning by the Reds. You talk about a string of unlucky hits. I mean, this was the definition of getting babipped. Strasburg gave up a one-out single by the Reds starting pitcher, Sonny Gray, on a one-two pitch on a ball that was deflected by Strasburg. Then did come a two-out five-pitch walk of Eugenio Suarez. But then the two-out RBI single by Jesse Winker on a ball that was in route right to Trey Turner, but then ricocheted off second base past Trey Turner. And then the two-out RBI double by Tyler Naquin on a ball that was like sliced into left field and barely landed in fair territory. I mean, sometimes people make excuses for pitchers who give up runs. This to me was indeed just real bad luck for Strasburg in that inning. He had no business giving up two runs in that inning. The inning also included a bunch of borderline calls by Todd Tickener that Strasburg clearly wasn't happy with. Now, I don't know if they were the correct call or the wrong call, but they were close enough that it was upsetting Stras and you know, maybe one or two of those go his way. It changes the inning as well. That was a crazy inning. Absolutely. And he was almost just shrugging it off in the end. Like, what are you going to do about it? Now, it didn't make a difference in the end because they would have lost the game one nothing. You talk about first inning runs. He gave up a first inning run. He gave up a run to the first batter of the game. And this is the fourth time now this year that the national starting pitcher has given up a home run to the very first batter. So he has joined the club along with Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, and our boy Paolo Espino in his emergency start also did it. I agree with you. The fastball command was not there early on. The home run came on a fastball. And then what Strasburg did after that, which I think this was impressive. He went to his curveball. That became his top pitch. He threw it more than anything else, almost 40% of the time in the game, and they weren't touching it. He's always had a really good curveball, as we know, and I think you saw there his ability to recognize what wasn't working and turn to something that was to help him get through it. He's not a finished product yet. I mean, he, he clearly is not all the way back to where he needs to be, but he is showing that he can still be effective even without that. So that to me was a good sign. And then the fluky fifth inning kind of derailed it. But that final pitching line, three runs in five innings to me, does not tell the story at all of this start. 
I'm glad you had that nugget about the leadoff homers because I was going to bring that up. It does feel like the Nats give up a lot of leadoff homers, not just in first innings either. Like it feels like it happens a lot in other innings, but there you go. Like to quantify what you feel like is the case, you know, what you can kind of note anecdotally. Yeah, it's something the Nats rarely do, right? A leadoff homer, homer period. But yeah, man, it does feel that way. If you follow this team, you watch these games. Every night, it feels like in at least one inning, the Nats give up a leadoff homer. I would venture to say the Nats have got to be like top 10, top five in the majors in terms of percentage of homers allowed that are leadoff homers in any inning this season. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I, I didn't look it up beyond the uh, first batter of the game. But yeah, there have been certainly innings where it's happened and relievers coming in and the first batter they face is hitting it out. Now, the leadoff homer is a solo homer. And as Max Scherzer says, and even Steven Strasburg said after this game, Generally speaking, you're not going to get beat by solo homers. Well, unfortunately, this team is getting beat by solo homers because they can't score any runs themselves. And that's proving to be the difference in games. But it is a little bit troubling. And, you know, it's a reminder, as Max said the other night, that you got to be ready right from pitch one. There are no gimmies anymore. And in a backhanded way, it's a compliment to guys like Scherzer and Strasburg that the opposing hitters know how good they are that you have to attack them early because if you let them get ahead of you, if you let the game drag on, you're not going to score off him those ways. You're going to have to jump on him right away. And maybe it does amount to the ever unusual, but sometimes needed first pitch curveball <laughs> or first pitch changeup to start a game. You know, with, what the first pitch of every ball game is always just a fastball down the middle and they hope the guy takes it. Well, they may not be able to do that. They may have to just change it up on them and uh, just not serve one on a platter then because they know that opposing hitters are looking for the fastball early in the count, early in the game. So Strasburg goes five innings. That's bullpen was good in the uh, nightcap of the quote-unquote doubleheader. Wander Suero tossing a scoreless top of the sixth. Kyle McGowan tossing a scoreless top of the seventh inning. So I, I think this maybe did confuse some people. This was considered a doubleheader on Thursday, even though game one was the completion of a suspended game that's why the second game was a mere seven innings, that this was considered a doubleheader. And so you got the seven inning gimmick for the game number two. And the game was over in a, a tidy, you know, what, two hours plus. That's the thing, man. It's not real baseball because it's not nine innings. But in terms of an entertainment product, you could do a lot worse than watching a baseball game that starts at seven and is over well before 10 o'clock. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of entertainment in this game, though, for the fans who were there. There was nothing to cheer about. Can I go on a little rant here about seven inning doubleheaders? Yeah. Can I have the floor? All right. I understand why baseball did this last year, recognizing that the priority to get through the 2020 season was to keep people apart as much as possible. And the last thing they wanted to do was to have everybody in the ballpark in close quarters together for extended period of time. And so the answer to that was if they had to play double headers, which they knew they probably were going to need to do a lot because of COVID uh, games called off, rainouts and all that, that they would condense them down to seven innings apiece. That also coincided with last year, all double headers were what we would call single admission, straight double headers. There were no fans there. You didn't need to do the day night double header. Well, now with 2021, with fans back, with a bunch of players vaccinated now, and with people allowed to go into stadiums and not wear masks, they're still doing the seven inning double headers and also splitting them up into separate admission day night double headers like this. People who had tickets to Wednesday's game could only get into the opener on Thursday. You had to have a ticket for Thursday night's game to get into that one. You couldn't go to both without two tickets. So here's what ends up happening. They shortened the second game to seven innings, ostensibly because of the health and safety of everyone not wanting to keep them in 
close quarters. Well, game one ended about four o'clock, which meant that there were three hours now for everybody to sit around in the clubhouse in close indoor quarters waiting for the next game to start. If they're not concerned about that, then why are they concerned about their health and safety that they have to shorten the game to seven innings? And I know there were a decent number of fans that tweeted at me and said, they bought tickets for a nine inning game at full price. Are they not getting a refund or a reduction in price because the game is shorter? No, they're not getting that. So I do not understand the rationale right now for playing seven inning double headers. I don't think it's real baseball. I understand it, why they did it last year, but given everything else that's changed since last year, and their complete willingness to let players hang out in the clubhouse for three hours in between games of a split admission doubleheader, why do you then need to shorten the nightcap to seven innings? I don't get it. It's a great point. It's not done for safety this season. I can promise you that. I would not be surprised if this was a union thing where it's just, hey, it's less work. It's a seven-inning game as opposed to a nine-inning game. We can do things that way. I, I think there's a lot of inconsistency right now with this health and safety stuff. Again, to go back to this Eric Fetty situation, I think it's a joke what's going on with Eric Fetty. Why this guy's not back with the Nationals is ridiculous. I do think this, though, with the seven innings, if you were starting baseball from scratch and you were trying to come up with a new sport to compete with the other existing sports in 2021 to compete for the entertainment dollar, you would probably do baseball as a seven-inning sport. Nine innings is too long. So many of these games are ridiculously long. Seven innings that you can do games on the regular in a little more than two hours. That's the way it should be, especially when you're playing 162 of these things over the course of a season. That's the one reason why I'm actually not as anti-seven-inning games as you are, just because as an entertainment package, like you know, in trying to compete in what is a very competitive environment right now for disposable income, for you know, trying to keep people's attention, seven innings works so much better than nine innings. I know so few people who have the time and like the desire to sit and watch nine innings of baseball, even people who like baseball, right? Three plus hours every night, you know, every day, more or less over six months. That's a big ask. Seven innings is more digestible and it'll never change. And, you know, I'm not even saying necessarily that I want it to change because it would skew all the records and everything else. But like, if you're just being objective about this, seven innings makes a lot more sense in 2021 than nine innings. I think it's more, though, an issue of the style of play that has developed in baseball. I think a nine-inning game can be played in more crisp and exciting fashion. We've seen it for many, many years played in under three hours with some exciting moments still in there. And I think the difference here is, is that for the most part, starting pitchers are not going deeper in games. And when you have 14-man pitching staffs, managers are just going to keep deploying a new reliever every inning who's throwing 95, 97, 98 miles an hour. And so it didn't really apply in this game because both the starters were good. But you've seen in some other games where managers are taking even a seven inning game and saying, okay, we only need four out of our starter. And then I'm just going to use a parade of relievers after that. And so those games, while the time of game may be shorter, I don't really think that baseball's issue right now is time of game. I think it's pace of play and lack of action that you can have a three hour, 10 minute game that is exciting that people don't want to give up on because a lot's happening. And there aren't these long, drawn-out dead periods where there isn't a ball in play. And I think a seven-inning game, even at two hours and seven minutes, can be pretty boring, as I thought this one was. Again, we're just looking at one example here. But when there's just not a lot of action happening, who cares what the time of game is? It's more about, give me something that's going on on the field. Give me balls in play. Give me people moving on the field, as opposed to just shortening the length of the game. Yeah, I think it's both. 
they are two separate things, but I, I do think both are problems. I think especially when it's 162 games, people only have so much time to sit and watch something. And when it's routinely three plus hours, I just don't think people have the desire to consume that. And you know what? Like the more I think about baseball these days, I don't know that baseball necessarily cares about that because the time of game thing and the pace of play thing, these have been issues for years now. And they get talked about all the time and they never get fixed. They never get addressed. And I, and I think baseball may just be good with people watching just a few innings every night, you know, and just being like, all right, what, you know, just, we just want you to watch a little bit. And if you don't watch all nine innings, okay, fine. You know, watch your four innings and, you know, read about the game the next day or listen to the Nats chat podcast the next day, that kind of a thing. But, you know, you think about it and you're like, you're asking people to take in 162 of these things. You got to make it as digestible as possible. And it's a real problem to me for baseball right now. No one's got this kind of time. And I don't think most people have the desire to sit and consume 162 of three hours plus game in, game out. That, that is a lot to ask, especially if there isn't a lot of action in these games. Hey, everyone. Tim Shovers here to tell you again about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. Sunday Scaries is here to hook up our listeners for your first order. Go to sundayscaries.com and type in NatsChat. That's one word in the promo code to get 25% off your first order. Again, it's sundayscaries.com. When you enter the promo code at checkout, type in NatsChat to receive 25% off your first order. They have plenty of options, including oils, bath bombs, and gummies. I've been using the gummies. It helps me sleep as I sign up for the night at rather unusual hours. Right now, I'm taking the vegan AF gummies. It's actually the only vegan thing I consume. And Sunday Scaries appeals to a wide range of people, including young professionals, moms, college students, entrepreneurs, and more. To recap, sundayscaries.com, promo code NATSCHAT to save 25% off your first order. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for NATSCHAT comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. While we're doing the rant thing, I did want to make mention of the reason there were two games on Thursday, and that is the suspension of the game on Wednesday night. This has come up before. This has happened before at Nationals Park. This isn't exclusive to the Nats. And this isn't necessarily all on the Nats. But this garbage of you have a rain delay. It goes on for three hours. Nobody knows what the status is. The game gets called off or suspended. And people in the ballpark don't know what's going on is inexcusable. And again, to go back to this idea of people competing for the disposable income, especially with the way things are right now, you know, the economy, you know, ravaged for a year. People don't necessarily have as much money to spend on entertainment as they used to. You obviously have an ultra competitive environment, especially in this area when it comes to sports, when it comes to things to do. And you do fans the way Nats fans got done on Wednesday night. Quick email from Eric Fussfield. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. He writes, I was one of the Nats fans who got done dirty last night, i.e. on Wednesday night. It was my first trip to the ballpark since the 2019 NLCS so I was understandably happy to be there and prepared to wait patiently until play resumed. 
My friend and I stood on the concourse for two and a half hours, waiting in vain for an announcement from the team before finally leaving at 11 p.m. But here's why I can't blame MLB as opposed to the Nats. My friend and I got word about the rescheduling of the game, not from the stadium scoreboard or the Nats website, but from the Reds website. I can't believe the home team wasn't privy to this information when the visiting team was. On top of that, there was no one available at guest services to tell us about ticket exchange options. So my friend had to make a separate trip to the park today, as i.e. Thursday, to swap our Wednesday night tickets for tonight's, i.e. Thursday night's game two. I get it. It's one person. It's one experience. But we got multiple messages like this one. You've got to communicate to your customers better. Jesse Doherty, the Washington Post, was noting this on Twitter. The seats, the stadium was being cleaned up and the scoreboard in the ballpark was still reading about the delay going on. Okay, the game had been called. Tell the people the game has been called. The communication has got to improve in these situations. I'll take it one step farther. The game was officially called off, announced about 11.30 p.m. The Reds were already on their bus back to the hotel at 11.10. So obviously the decision had been made. They were on their way home. Now, here's the thing. Generally speaking, these are complicated things that have to go through MLB, especially when it's a series. It's the only series against an opponent. It's not a division opponent. So they don't come back. So they have to reschedule it for these next few days. And they had to figure out how they were going to do it and what time. And I'm sure it was a question of, is this a split admission doubleheader? Is it? Okay. So there's a lot of stuff that has to be sorted out. And I get that that can take some time, but here's what you can do. You don't have to wait until you have every single detail finalized before announcing it. You can announce at some point in the evening, ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry. Tonight's game is going to have to be called off for now. Further details will come on the rescheduling of it. Please make sure to check our social media sites, our website, call the ticket office for information about the rescheduling of the game, how to get your tickets to get to the to the makeup game. There's no reason that can't be done. There was nothing from them. It's not the first time it's happened. They're not the only team to do this as well. Like you said, there was a game at Fenway Park on Tuesday night or Wednesday night as well that was resumed at midnight. I think it was the Braves and the Red Sox, a similar situation, and they waited it out and played. So There's never any good that can come of a rain delay that's that long, and there's no right answer to these. But I think most fans are willing to concede that teams can't control the weather. They can control the messaging and the communication to just at least give them a heads up and give them some sense of what's going on. Even if you don't have a complete answer, a partial answer is always better in the moment and let people make adjustments based on that. Be better. That's all. These games are expensive to go to. Nats Park is not an easy trip for a lot of people in this area. You know, it's not a conveniently located stadium for a lot of people. It's not easy to park. It's not cheap to park. Make the experience a good one and one that the customer wants to repeat, not one where the customer is having to bend over backwards to try to figure out uh, what he or she are supposed to do. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. Well, next up for the Nationals is a three-game series to wrap up the nine-game homestand. Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park this upcoming Memorial Day weekend. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon. You got a battle of lefties Friday night, John Lester, Brett Anderson. You have Patrick Corbin versus Freddie Peralta on Saturday night. And then you have a five-star pitching matchup on Sunday afternoon. This should be a lot of fun to watch, although watch it end up being a a 10-9 game. But Max Scherzer versus Brandon Woodruff 
Maybe the two best pitchers in baseball right now going to be going head-to-head on Sunday afternoon. That could be a classic. And a rematch, if you may remember, of the last time the Nationals and Brewers played each other, which, believe it or not, was the wild card game in 2019. That's how long it's been since they've faced each other. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Unfortunately, we just talked about the weather, and I have to bring this up. Maybe by bringing it up, it'll help make things a little better. I'll jinx it. The forecast is awful this weekend, especially Friday and into Saturday. And um, it could be a challenge for them to get all three of these games in. We may be looking at some more seven-inning games before the weekend is up, unfortunately. Well, hopefully, if you're going to Nets Park, you know what the story is uh, before, say, the three-hour mark is reached with the rain delay. We'll hope for the best on something like that. All right, we appreciate all the feedback, all of the support for the Nats Chat Podcast. Keep your feedback and your support coming. It's helped out a lot uh, in regards to what we're trying to do here. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Bases loaded. One ball, one strike. Hater the set, the kick. Here it comes. Swing and a line drive. Base in right field. Taylor scores from third. Stevenson around third. The ball missed in right field. Rounding third. Coming home is Rendon. He will score. But now caught in a run down is Soto. He will be tagged out by Moustakis. But that's the third out. Three runs. Score on the play. A base hit to drive in two runs. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.